This is the second in a series of programmes about Rutherglen in the 1950s. Like everywhere else in Britain in the 1950s, Rutherglen was still in the grip of post-war austerity, certainly in the early years of the decade. David Jackson grew up in the town in the 1950s and shared with me some of his recollections of that time. It was a very different world compared to what it is today, with memories of the Second World War still very fresh. I bet I can add on to that as mm-hmm. the National Service after the war. Right. This is a thing as I look back. <clears throat> All this conversation is about what we don't see the day and what is no longer. This is about remembering the past and then um, soldiers. Every day of the week I saw soldiers on the street walking mm. about by themselves. They'd be home and leave. And they were men from my end of the tune and all heard the tune. When I was a wee boy, men went about with, and I don't ever recollect seeing a sailor or a, an RAF man. You know, working class boys joined the army and and I had plenty of wee friends that their big brother was in the army and mm. they would like you know it, my big brother's in the army right. and I didn't have a big brother in the army. Right. Uh, I knew men like uh, Rab Clark for the Burn Hill, I mm. remember him, in his army uniform, Ralph Ralston in his army uniform, uh, Alec McDowell, uh, Bobby Anderson, uh, all these men coming and going, coming home. Uh, so I grew up always seeing men with their army uniforms. So if that was after the war then, why would there be so many soldiers still going to go? Korea was on. Well, of course. They were fighting Korea, yeah. 52, 53. Jim Adair's another man I regularly seen as a wee boy. Now, all of these men were 10 or 12 years older than me. Mm-hmm. I'm only 6, they're 18. But these are all my pals' big brothers. And they let me know it. Mm-hmm. My big brother's in the army. You've <laughs> not got a big brother in the army. You know? Yes. And um, that always caught my eye. Uh, that thing... You know, what you don't see today, all this stuff, gas masks, etc., bunkers, mm. the army, Turkey uniform. In 1953, the Queen came to Rutherglen. 1953, the Queen came to Rutherglen for her coronation, and it was massive. You know, mm. the streets were packed. But f- And I can show you, I could take you to that, that window there and mm. show you across the road in the main street mm-hmm. where I stood. Uh, a, what would that make me? Seven, year, seven years of age. Ah, yeah. It's as clear as that. Wow. I stood in the corner of Kirkwood Street on the main street there. Mm-hmm. Kirkwood Street and Main Street. Right straight across from this library. And uh, at seven years of age. And my memory is this. The soldiers lining down both ends of the street. And it was soldier to soldier. Without a space. And those shiny big boots. The khaki uniform. But the thing that had my mouth lying open was they had real guns. They had rifles. And... I never grew up being, you know, interested in guns or army or this or that. But as a wee boy, I couldn't take them. The Queen didn't bother me. I wasn't interested. <laughs> but I couldn't take my eye off these guns. Yes. And I was right at the front. Yeah, yeah. I was at the edge of the pavement. Mm. And I was mesmerised. As part of a series of visits around the UK just after her coronation, the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh visited Rutherglen on 25th of June 1953. They had been in Paisley and Glasgow earlier that day. The royal couple had tea at the town hall, where they signed the visitor's book. After their visit to the royal borough, they boarded the royal train at Rutherglen Station and made their way from there to Edinburgh. Archie Macbeth, the Mm -hmm. man in the Burnhill, 
who this is again a, a childhood memory of remembering a man that had a, a big brass hook for a hand a brass hook and it would seem big to me mm. and it was just like Captain Hook's hook no exaggerated really big years later I told you I went on to reading the reformer some 15-20 years ago that that man as a 14 year old boy had worked in a butcher's in the main street straight across from the Odeon bingo hall just now mm -hmm. was Bruins the butchers and back in the whatever it was the 20s or some 20s or the First World War period he, he's a 14 year old boy and he lost his hand in the mincing machine God. his hand got caught in the mincing machine mm -hmm. and that was the reason for the you know I found out 40 years after yeah, yeah. I used to watch him like that yeah. but there was also other people mm. I spoke about the polio who you know this is my end of the town mm -hmm. three people that I grew up with all wore calipers iron iron calipers um, I'll not name them, you know. Ah, of course, the, of course. The, the, the Bricket Man was one of them, you yeah, know, Bobby yeah. Bryson. I think you, never, you never see that now, though. No, you never see that. Yeah, you no, never no. see that. Mm -hmm. And again, another thing you never see, but two people at my end of the town, you know, what you would tell them today, a built-up boot, you know, in their day, we called it a club foot. Aye. You yeah. know, a club foot. But there was two people at my end of the town had quite severe, bad club foots. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. the boots were 10 mm -hmm. inches high. You know, and that's a rarity, doesn't it? Of course. I grew up with these people. Aye. A hooked hand, polio, yeah. calipers, Goodness. club foot. Yeah. And they're all my early memories. Mm. This is this 1950s that we are talking sure, about sure. today, you know. Polio, or infantile paralysis, is an infectious disease which in some cases causes muscle weakness, resulting in an inability to move. Some polio sufferers had calipers or leg braces fitted to improve their mobility. Following the discovery of a vaccine in the 1950s, polio disappeared from the UK, the US and much of Europe by 1988. Now, polio remains endemic only in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Another early memory. Now, I'll not exaggerate this, it was only on a couple of occasions mm. that I did see this, but I saw street entertainers. Without being all dressed up, men going round the street singing. Mm -hmm. Now I'm talking about not talking about on the main street. Mm. I'm talking about the West End housing scheme, the mm. Burnhill housing scheme. They come round the streets, mm. four and a block houses, singing in the street, and women would throw up their windy, mm -hmm. as the saying went, and throw a penny onto the street. Yes, I remember it in Pinkerton Avenue when my granny lived. <clears throat> my granny says, "Go and give the man a penny." So who were these guys then, David? Were they, they weren't professional entertainers, obviously. They were not professional entertainers. Were they kind of buskers or they, what? Or? They were, uh, you could tell them they're buskers, Aye. I would tell them uh, busker beggars, you know, sure. uh, kind of destitute people mm -hmm. who would sing a song, they knew a song and they would sing a song. Goodness. And um, I remember it in Greenhill Road seeing yep. the same thing. Mm. What they regularly done in tenement closes was they would go round the back and they would sing in the back court and people would throw pennies out the back court. That's where I seen it in Greenhill Road. Wow. Yeah. Out the back court. So mm -hmm. I was round the back court for mm -hmm. some reason and mm -hmm. the man came round and he was singing. They yeah. would sing up to the windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People would lift their window and throw a penny out. My God. Aye. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. <laughs> we have spoke, Carrick, about the Evangelistic Institute. Mm -hmm, I remember. You know, well, the, I can't, the Evangelistic Institute... Again, it ran into the late 50s, mm -hmm. and it had run for the 1870s. It was a great institute, and we yeah. spoke about Lord Overton, etc. Yeah. Um, but they run a thing called the Bandy Hope, the mm -hmm. Band of Hope. Mm -hmm. We called it the Bandy Hope, yeah. the kids, the Bandy Hope. And the Bandy Hope would come round the streets, 
and they would put down a massive ground sheet, you know, for dampness, and the word spread about like wildfire with the kids. Mm. That's brought up in the street, which I still live in the same house today, mm-hmm. uh, but there isn't any kids in the street now. It's for seemingly for, I don't know, older people. Mm. But when I was a kid, there was 50 to 60 kids mm. living in that street, sure. yeah. and we were right on the street because there wasn't any cars. Of course. But the bandy hope would come round. And at the top of Black Falls, there was spare ground, which there's a pub called the Cedarwood on it now. But that spare ground is where the bandy hope would lay out their sheet. And um, the word went like wildfire. Mm. The bandy hopes here. And all the kids rushed to the top of the road <laughs> to go on the ground sheet. <laughs> because there was something in this for us. Not only did we get holy pictures of Jesus, we got sticky lollipops. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> now, this is what you call a wee round penny lollipop. Yeah, yeah. On just one of the wee stick. A wee stick. <clears throat> yeah. But up, see that we stick your lollipop. Mm. As kids, we would look at each other and hold our mm. lollipops. Yeah. So I've got a lollipop, got and we would sing hymns like "My cup's full and running over," and we would do the wee actions with our hands and that, you know, and all the wee hymns. And the kids loved it. The kids yeah. loved it. Oh yeah, that was another mm. form of entertainment of, course, of, course, yeah. of uh, sweeties yeah. and sticky lollipops. Mm-hmm. I can add to that. There was two places. And unfortunately, at the moment, I'm talking about my end of the town, the Burn Hill. But there was two places in the Burn Hill where it was houses. And the women in the house made puff candy mm. and candy apples. Yep. And you would go to the door. And if your granny or your mammy gave mm-hmm. you the penny, maybe Tottenham's penny, I think, you would, this puff candy was three inches thick. It was real puff candy. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And the real taste of puff candy, there was mm. nothing mass production about this. And the Mrs. Shannon at number two Burnhill Street, you went to the side door and you asked, you held up your penny mm. and she'd get into the kitchen and she would break it up and she'd come out and you'd get your puff candy or a candy apple. I'm Garrick MacDonald and you're listening to Halfway to Borough, the Two Towns local history show on Cam Glen Radio. In this second programme in the series about Rutherglen in the 1950s, David Jackson is sharing with me some of his recollections of life in the town at that time. Now, a hundred yards for that, down in the New Street, there was a piggery, a house that was probably built in the 1850s, and behind it was a piggery. Uh, Jesse Nielsen or Nelson was the woman in the piggery. And when you went to the piggery door and you chapped that door, it was the exact same thing. You held up your penny and she gave you what you wanted. Puff candy mm-hmm. or candy apples. Aye, <laughs> it was wonderful. It was wonderful. It sounds like, yeah. Yes, yeah. and you've only gone to the show. No, no. And as wee kids, you went away happy. Mm. I don't exaggerate when I say this puff candy had, had uh, you know, risen to two to three inches thick. I don't think you could buy puff candy like it today. No, you could tell this was homemade. Oh, mm-hmm. And the candy apples were really wonderful. Mm. That was a treat. Mm. That was a treat. Yeah. It was my granny that would always give the money to go yeah, there. Yeah. They're mm. a penny each. Go yeah. and get me and my wee brother. <laughs> One of the last forms of a, a kids' sweeties was the full cream ice cream a firm. They had a, a yard in Farmland Road near Alleybank. A well, a long, well, traditional name going back a long time, the Alley Banks, and these, this horse and these two horses and carts were a horse-drawn carts, and they were pure yellow, and they were like gypsies' caravans. Mm. So they had four sides to them, and in the four sides they had big, big windows, 
big windows till it light in, and then the side nearest the pavement, naturally the window slid open, yeah. and that's where he served you out of there. Wow. And he's got a horse and cart. And the two men that done that were local men. One was called Chinny, mm-hmm. and one was called Alec. You see, <laughs> and they, and you would get your your ice cream mm. or your waiver. But I remember one day as a boy, it was the winter and it was cold and they still come round because they had to earn their money. They always came round. It was a magnificent caravan-like thing, like a gypsy's caravan. You know, you've got the idea. Yeah. One big wooden, I never told you, one big wooden um, wheels. Mm. Big wooden wheels with a yeah. steel rim on them. Yeah. So the steel rim on Anyway, he, he's returning to the depot at four o'clock and the day's cold and it's the winter and it's it's dark, it's getting dark and it's icy. And he's coming up Chapel Street with the horse and care and the ice is on the ground and he can't get the horse. The horse has got its horse's shoes on naturally mm-hmm. and the horse can't get up the hill. And he tried once, he tried twice and he <laughs> tried a dozen times because he knew that he'd need to turn round and come back down Chapel Street, mm-hmm. go all the way round uh, Glencairn Drive, yeah. round Ferry Street and up Mill Street to get back onto the main street. Oh, yeah. And that's what he had today. Goodness. And as a wee boy stood and watched him, he couldn't get up, the horse couldn't get up the hill. <laughs> that's an old memory, yes, a great indeed. old memory. You know, that's, yeah. that's worth telling. Oh, indeed. Another man you looked forward to coming round was the Ragman. Like everywhere else in, in Britain, you know, mm, yeah. no any different Rutherland, but the novelty as a kid still stands out. Sure. And it was all just for a balloon. You'd run into your mammy and say, can I get rags? The, the ragman's here. And, um, and for all the rags you took out, all you got was a balloon. <laughs> it shows you what life is like. The kids were happy. You yeah. walked away with a balloon and you were happy. <laughs> on a wee stick. Yes. My God, could you imagine your children or your grandchildren oh, yeah, nowadays yeah. being happy at just getting a wee balloon? There was another lady came round and she was from the Gorbals. She was another woman. She was only about five feet. She was only about four feet eight or four feet nine. But she was a strong wee woman. And this wee woman collected rags as well. A van would come and get her at the bottom of Black Falls. But she would run the Burn Hill. And she would tie them in a big uh, bed sheet. And she'd put it onto her forehead, onto her back, and, and tied it round the front of her forehead. Mm-hmm. They know it. So was the, she was carrying it on her back, right. and she would carry it to the bottom of Black mm-hmm. Falls, mm-hmm. and she would go and do another one, yeah. and a van would come and collect her. Mm-hmm. That's kind of Victorian almost, isn't it? It's Victorian. <laughs> it's Victorian. Yeah, yeah. This wee woman had always a bright, bright red face. She was a hard worker, and... Um, I don't know what she'd done with her money, whether she took a wee dram or what, you know. Yeah. Uh, she was a hardy character. Mm, you could mm. tell she had a rough, rough upbringing in life and um, and probably no education. Mm. She wouldn't have been doing that job, let's be honest about it. But she didn't give you a balloon. Mm. She was the person that my mother preferred. We wanted a balloon off the ragman, but my mother preferred to keep her rags for her. Mm. Because she would give you a wee china. She would promise my mammy, mm. I'll get you. Would you like a wee crinoline lady? We're talking about f- four inches high, you know. Yeah. And my mother would be. Mm. My mother had a wee, one of these cabinets, a mm. glass cabinet. Mm-hmm. You put wee things like that in. My mother said, oh yes. Mm. And she would make my mother a promise. Yeah. 
I'm going to bring you a crinoline lady mm-hmm. or, or a wee cotton saucer. And that's what my mother used to get for the rags. Oh, yeah. That's something, <laughs> isn't it? It certainly is. Two other types of people that I can think about. Again, they went all throughout Great Britain. My memory, I don't really know. I think they were Spanish, but they might have been French. But they, everybody gave them the one name. You called him Johnny. Mm-hmm. Johnny the Onion Man. Mm-hmm. And he came running on a bicycle. And he, his bicycle was literally... He had extensions in his bicycle where he could hook hook onions on. Right. And they were big onions. And he, he would come round and you would tell your mammy, Mammy, mm. Johnny the Onion Man's here. And he would come round the streets. I've heard of these guys. But never, Did yeah. you know? No, no. Yes. No, no. Johnny the Onion Man mm. would come round. Mm-hmm. And he... And, Oh, there would be dozens and dozens and dozens. Mm. They seemed to tie them together. They yeah. hung. They hung like grapes on on the bicycle. Yeah, yeah. They could have uh, oh, they could have hundreds of onions mm. on that one bicycle. Mm-hmm. The origin of onion johnnies can be traced back to 1828, when these onion sellers, who all came from a small area of Brittany, first set out to cross the Channel. There's a report in the Times in 2004 about the last onion johnny in Scotland. Andre Kemeny first arrived in Leith in 1951, when he was just 14, and spent up to five months a year cycling around the towns and villages of Scotland, selling strings of onions. His final visit was in 2005. Johnny the Onion Man would come run, but there was another very interesting man came run, and he came run in a wooden barra that stood in four legs. When it was off the wheels, it stood in four legs, and he pushed it with two handles, and he was... He sharpened your knives and my dad's garden shears mm-hmm. and bread knives and the wee spats would fly. He worked it with his foot. Mm. It was cod off a wee... A, a wee... Uh, belt thing. A belt. Uh-huh. And he cod it off his foot and you, yeah, yeah. your, your mummy would give you your, uh, uh, the knives, the forks, your scissors, mm-hmm. my dad's garden shears mm-hmm. and you would go and mm-hmm. he earned his living like mm-hmm. that. Coming round the streets. Wow. I am talking the early 19 to the mid-1950s. Maybe not so much the late 50s we have, but the late 50s we all have wee stories on Kenya there. But this is all, I can sure you can categorise all this in the 1950s, everything I'm telling you. So he was another gentleman at Cameroon. I'm Carrick MacDonald, and you've been listening to Halfway to Borough, the Two Towns local history show on Cam Glen Radio. Thanks to David Jackson for his contribution to this programme about Rutherglen in the 1950s, and to Zen Boyd of Rutherglen Heritage Centre for her help and support. Thanks also to BBC Scotland's Scottish History website. The music was by Sugar Nifty. If you've got any comments on this programme, or you've got some ideas for future local history programmes, please contact me by email, history at camglenradio.org. I hope you enjoyed that programme, and that you can join me again next time. Until then, bye-bye. Sadly, David Jackson passed away unexpectedly on the 3rd of November 2020. David was the font of all knowledge when it came to the history of Rutherglen. A proud Ruglonian and a well-kent figure around the town, he'll be greatly missed. How do you look after your teeth and gums? Brush your teeth um, every every time you wake up and at bedtime. Make sure you get like everywhere around your mouth, even the back of your teeth. If you kind of don't, then you'll have them fall out. If you don't look after your teeth, you'll get black and brown.
To help keep your teeth and gums healthy, visit the dentist regularly. To register with a dentist, simply telephone or visit a practice in your area and ask if you can register with them. You can find a dentist near you using the NHS Inform service directory. You're listening to Press Pause on Cam Glen Radio. This is a programme that focuses on nature sounds to promote relaxation and mindfulness. For the next half an hour, you'll hear the sounds of North Berwick's West Bay Beach. (laughs) 